I'm Stevan, as I said before. I'm part of the teaching team. I'm lucky enough to work with these fine, fine folks, including our pastors, um, as well as Al Nichols from up at the Cedar Rapids uh, congregation, um, and get to, get to learn about God and, and reflect some things. So that's what we're doing here for these three weeks. We're in week two, and if you were here last week, we talked about the toxic thought of feeling like you are not loved or you're not special or you're not chosen, right? And we all deal with that at some point where we realize that everybody's telling us that, like, you'll be special, you'll be okay, you'll be loved if you do this thing, or if you achieve this thing, or once you reach this thing, we, we do it to ourselves, people do it to us, the world does it to us, advertisements do it to us all the time. If you go back and watch all the Super Bowl ads, just realize that they're all driving you towards just that one more thing, and you're going to be okay. And the way out of that spiral is that you look at the story that God tells through the whole biblical story, and you look at the people that Jesus chose, and they are normal, ordinary, broken people, and that we all have the chance to be chosen as well. But at the same time, I said normal, broken people, right? And that's the reality that we live with oftentimes. And so I want to talk about that feeling that that little sausage dog experienced there of being like, but I'm a sausage dog. It's going to take me, take, it's going to take me that much longer to sit or do all those other things. Um, and that's just like an innate part of who he was. And we all have that in some way, shape, or form. The things that, like in the superhero movie, become gifts. Maybe you're still stuck in that point of being like, but why do I have this thing that is me, but also is just part of the mess that is me? Um, and you haven't gotten to the part of your life where you do the sausage roll and everything is happy and it's great. Um, so I'm going to tell a quick story that encapsulates one of the ways in which I am a mess. Um, and I feel free to like think about your own life and map your own story of the, the mess that you are on top of this one as I'm telling it. Um, so last week I talked about my perfectionist streak, which is both a joyous and wonderful and terrible thing all at once, which I think I've passed on to my eldest son for better or for worse. So yeah, the joys of parenting, right? Um, and the, the quest is to help him better than I've helped myself along the way. Uh, but it was in college that I, one of the first times that I really noticed this. So I get, I was doing a music degree. So I did music business, business management. Music business was a very thinly veiled saxophone major in which I played a lot of saxophone and took like three business classes, which was great and joyous and wonderful. And it was a gift and it helped pay for college. And I still get to play occasionally. Um, but I got to the, the opportunity to enter in this concerto competition. So the orchestra at the school that I was at had this competition every year, and they said, if you win this concerto competition, then you get to play with the orchestra. Hooray, wonderful, they get a soloist out of the deal. You get this thing for your CV. It's great. And I won, which was both a delight and a terror at the same time, because you're doing classwork, you're doing school, you're doing all these business classes as well, and you're trying to maintain a semblance of a long-distance long relationship with your uh, future wife over at Co. And you're like, how am I going to do all of these things all at once? And so I'm practicing, and I, my practice habits were not great. It's that simultaneous thing where you're good at something, and so you slack on it, right? Like you've coasted in your high school life on the abilities that you had, and then you get to some point in your adult life, and you're like, these abilities do not cut it for the adult work that I am doing right now. Um, and late one night after I had imbibed like two personal-sized pizzas at 10 p.m., and then got into the practice room at 11 o'clock to practice, which was just like... Great habits, right? You get there, you're playing through the music, and there was a backtrack, and I remember this distinctly, like, 
crank to maximum volume, the metronomes in the background clicking away, and I know that it needs to be this tempo by this date to make it work, to actually perform with the symphony at the level that they expect me to perform at that I theoretically did an audition and proved that I could. And I remember breaking down after like the seventh time through this thing with like, like had done the math on the time that I had left and the progress that I was making, and it was not good. It was not gonna be okay. So I call my dad at like this exceptionally late hour and God bless him, he picks up the phone and then I just weep, which is not a thing that my dad and I have done a lot of in our lives, in, our, in each other's presence. And so I'm just like sobbing on the phone and I'm just imagining his face at the same time. Um, and he did the greatest thing that a dad could do. He was just there, right? And he listened and he like affirmed that you're both gonna be okay and the things that you're doing matter like, you need to keep practicing. He didn't say that. He never said that. But he said, like, just keep doing the work, putting in the work, and it's going to be okay. We're so excited to come see you at this competition. Um, and I don't know if you had a moment like that. I hope that you have people like that in your life, or, or if you've gotten to that moment yourself and you've, like, had to pull yourself back together. Um, but we all know that moment where that element of us that has gotten us to this certain point is not going to get us past that. And your issues are not mine, but you've probably felt trapped in a cycle like this at some point. And you wonder, will things ever get better? Will they, will they ever be better than this? Because it's like this integral part of you. And the, the thing that you ask yourself beyond this is, will I ever be better? Right? Will the things that are inside of me change at some point? Am I going to be able to pull off that miraculous moment and put myself together enough that I'm not broken anymore. And one of my favorite Jesus followers talked about it this way. He compared this feeling to what the Bible defines as sin or the ways in which we miss the mark with God or the things that are broken inside of our lives. We're not, today we're not going to deal with, we're going to deal with a little bit about the brokenness outside in the world, all those things that we pray for and, and know that are going to be different someday in God's kingdom at some point that we have to deal with now. But today, we're, we're going to deal with those toxic thoughts, those things inside of us. Um, and he was like, this guy said, sets it up this way. He's like, imagine that life could be prolonged indefinitely. Like, you've got eternity out ahead of you, but you've got these things inside of you that are, like, untenable at this point. And they're the things that you want to change to make eternity, like, an agreeable and ideal thing. But if you can't change those things and you're stuck in that cycle of brokenness, it becomes... Like, that becomes a maddening thought, right? To always be stuck in that place. And we're like, I just, I wouldn't want to be part of that. Um, that sin, the, the live sins inside of us, the brokenness inside of us, makes it so that we can't want to live forever. But you all came here for a way out of toxic thoughts, hopefully. You didn't come here and be like, I'm going to stew in some toxic thoughts this week at church. It's going to be great. Um, so we're going to go to the Bible, and we're going to deal with uh, some ways around toxic thoughts, but we're going to sit with somebody who has dealt with these things. And this was a guy named David, and he was simultaneously a person who was after God's own heart, as the Bible said, but also just like this gigantic mess of a human being. So this is a moment, I think, where you can really get in touch with his humanity. And this is filtered through like 3,000 years of translation and time. But I hope you feel his angst and his anguish here. So I'm going to read uh, Psalm 38, starting at verse 4. 
My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and are loathsome because of my sinful folly. I am bowed down and brought very low. All day, all day long I go about mourning. My back is filled with searing pain. There is no health in my body. You know that time when you just like feel crushed physically by all the stuff that's going on inside you? I am feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. All my longings lie open before you, Lord. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart pounds. My strength fails me. Even the light has gone from my eyes. My friends and companions avoid me because of my wounds. My neighbors stay far away. Those who want to kill me set their traps. Those who want to harm me talk of my ruin. All day long they scheme and lie. I am like the deaf who cannot hear, like the mute who cannot speak. I have become like one who does not hear, whose mouth can offer no reply. Lord, I wait for you. You will answer, Lord my God, for I said, do not let them gloat or exalt themselves over me when my feet slip. For I am about to fall, and my pain is ever with me. I confess my iniquity. I am troubled by my sin. Many have become my enemies without cause. Those who hate me without reason are numerous. Those who repay my good with evil lodge accusations against me, though I seek only to do what is good. Lord, do not forsake me. Do not be far from me, my God. Come quickly to help me my Lord and Savior. So that's a guy who's got some stuff that he's dealing with. He's got hope, but there's a lot of stuff there, right? Um, I am not a super deep biblical scholar, so I can't point to like when in his life this was. But I imagine that you can think of a time when you have felt that way. Um, and that is the beauty of the Psalms, if you've never dove into those and really just sat with one of those for a while, you can find one to reflect almost every emotion that you have gone through or are going to go through. Um, so I encourage you to put that one in your rotation of like, I feel terrible. Go spend some time with David. Be like, I am not alone. <laughs> Somebody else has felt this terrible as well. We'll get to the fixing part of it, but um, just knowing that people are out there thinking of you are, is a beautiful thing as well. So we're going to go to Matthew now, and we're going to go a jarring about-face into Jesus' ministry uh, in which he is talking about the life in the kingdom. So he's started his ministry 2,000 years after David, and he's talking about what life is like in the kingdom of God. He's been doing all these miracles and healing people and doing these amazing things, uh, getting in touch with the people in Israel, in Judea at that time, and they're all amazed and just... They want to know more about what life is like, like what makes a guy be able to heal people, what makes um, somebody be able to feed 5,000. And so he's got this moment where he's starting to teach them. He's starting to talk about what is the most important thing that you need to hear about what God is like. Because if Jesus came to do nothing else, he came to show us what the Father is like so that we could know the Father and know him in the human form. So this is what Jesus has to say about life in the kingdom of God. So when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. You imagine there's a couple thousand people. So he goes up the hill a little bit. He sits down on a rock or a stump or something, and his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. And he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Keep going. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of things of evil, all kinds of evil against you because uh, of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So what world is all of that stuff coming from is the question, right? Some of these things sound good, like being a merciful person is great, being shown mercy is great, but some of these other things, like being poor in spirit, um, depending on which translation you go into, like that may not make a lot of sense to a lot of us today. Or blessed are those who mourn. We're all going to mourn, but like how does that make us blessed? Blessed are the meek. The meek don't inherit the earth. The strong inherit the earth, right? This is the kind of stuff that's coming from a totally different place. And I want to ask you this question. Have you ever read this or heard some context or had somebody slice a snippet out of this and present it to you as like, hey, life sucks right now, but you're blessed. You're like, that doesn't feel right. That does not feel very good. Um, And when it's pulled out of context and when it's in the wrong way, it can feel really hurtful. And so what I want to do is remind us all that it is not this world that this is coming from. It is not this one. It's God's kingdom and the way in which Jesus calls us to live there in the midst of the brokenness today. Um, I'll talk a little bit more about the fact that we live in a broken world, but God does not. He's not okay with it. He doesn't love it. This is not the way it was meant to be, and it's not the way it's going to be. But at the same time, there's a line in the Bible that sticks with me is that, um, that Jesus also said is that the sun shines on both the righteous and the unrighteous alike. And you've probably experienced that too, right? You've been in some sort of situation like a class project or a coworker or a neighbor down the street, and you're like, but they live terribly. They are clearly unrighteous, or at least less righteous than me, but the sun is still shining on them. They are making a paycheck far beyond what I have. The things that they did wrong at work that I didn't do somehow got them a promotion or advancement, or all of these things that we can map onto what we think about our experience versus somebody else's experience. Um, I lost my train of thought there, I'll be honest. <laughs> I got going, and I didn't get back to where I was supposed to be. Um, but getting back to where we're supposed to be is that the problem of modern living, the problem of paying attention to all the ways in which we uh, compare ourselves to each other or think that other people are more blessed than we are, and that is somehow an affirmation of the fact that things are not good for us, is this quote uh, that by a guy called Henry Now, and if you were here last week, um, a lot of this material is coming from The Life of the Beloved by a guy called Henry Nowen. And he had a quote from that book called, The Problem of Modern Living is that we are too busy to notice that we are blessed. And with my small group, we were lucky enough to go through this book uh, called uh, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And it's about the fact that we live life at a thousand miles per hour. We've got these silly things that are pushing things all at us all of the time. We've got a pace of life that has increased wildly in the last 100 years of the human race. We're driving, we're speeding, we're trying to do seven things at once. Um, but, and it's eating at all of us. And our ability to notice the fact that we do have good things in our life. If you just look at push notifications, the news push notifications that you get on your phone, 
God help, just turn those off if, unless, like, get yourself on, like, a once a day sort of thing. But the people who write those things are really good. Like, they've got two sentences to hook your attention with something that is not great about the world, and they're great. Uh, one that I read, and I'm not going to get it right, but it was like, they were told that the crocodile was savage. They didn't listen, or something like that. <laughs> you want to read that, and you know it's going to be bad, but you're like, but but why didn't they pay attention? Somebody told them it was going to be wrong. Um, but there's a different world that Jesus is talking about, a world in which we can move through this broken one and have some level of peace, some level of put-togetherness. Um, but I do want to take a moment and talk about how it's not God's plan for the world or for us to be broken. If you go back to the beginning of the biblical story, things were good. People were in relationship with each other. People were in relationship to the world. People were in relationship to God. And I just want you to hear today, this is part of the point of the whole message and an integral point, a little bit of a side, we could spend a whole week doing this. What God allows and what God wills are different things. So if somebody has ever said to you, oh, it was God's will that this bad thing happened, but you got a good thing out of it, or like you're mourning so that because God made that happen so that you could have a good thing later. We're also in my small group going through this study called uh, Gods of the No Testament, which is delightful in which it goes into, there's all these God, like versions of God that you have been programmed by society to think of, right? Like there's the God of guilt or there's the God that the on-demand God, the one where you call him and are like, hey God, can you just make sure that my child gets a date. This is not for me. I mean, eventually I'll get grandchildren out of it, but just get my child a date, please. This is not for me. Um, and then he doesn't answer. And you're like, but God, it was clearly, it must have been your plan. And then you lose faith with that God. Like, that's a brief synopsis of the whole thing. But the God that wills evil into existence or that is like, but that will will make some broken thing happen that way because he can redeem it someday is not right. He will and can and does work tirelessly and creatively and redemptively around the broken things in our lives inside of us and outside of us, but he doesn't want us to be hurt. And if you look at Jesus's ministry and he gets, like, I imagine a guy who gets up every morning, if you look at all, like, the list of miracles that are written, just written in the Bible, the ones that have made it to us 2,000 years later, he woke up in the morning spend some time in prayer with God at 5 a.m., eats a breakfast of fish, and he's like, all right, now what are we going to fix today? And he goes out, and he heals people, and he talks to them about how their choices are breaking them and how they can get out of that cycle of sin and hurt. He goes and heals people who are lepers. He invites people back into society who were cast out by society at that time. He was about putting things back to rights. And I imagine, I know that he's still energized by this and energized by the fact that we all have the opportunity through his Holy Spirit at work inside of each of us to do that. Not because of who we are and because we're so amazing, but because he made us amazing, right? We don't need to spend time thinking about how we're better than anybody else, but we are chosen and we are blessed and we're made to be something. And so I hope that puts in context this quote from Paul, who was one of Jesus' later apostles who went and spread the gospel all over the Roman world at that time. And he was a great, great communicator. And if you just read through those letters, he's trying to get some aspect of who God is to a specific church community. 
In very much the same way, you come to hear something about God this morning. He was trying to get this message out to, to different people. I am not comparing myself to Paul. Let me be clear. Um, but he said to me, my grace, so this is Paul saying, that God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. And this is a guy who is keenly aware of the ways in which he is a mess, right? He is not equipped to do certain things. He's not the right person to reach certain people. He knows that there are ways in which he falls short of, of how God wants him to be and how he should be in the world. But that at the same time, he sees that as an opportunity for God to be at work in him. And he had just look at the number of churches that he started and the relationships that he had. He had the opportunity to see how God was at work around and despite and through him, despite his weaknesses. And so I want to leave you with a couple of things today. And one key thing is that Jesus's victory is for you. This is the good news of the gospel, right? That it's not like some future thing coming when you pass away and you get the fire sale insurance, like the fire insurance and sign the deal and say, now, now I'm going to go to heaven. Things are going to be fine eventually. And it doesn't change your trajectory through life. We don't have to deal with brokenness in the same way because Jesus is dealing with brokenness in a different way. You are blessed in so many ways. And I hope you'd take time to slow down. We'll talk about that in the application of what we can do about this message um, but a story in the Bible that really encapsulates this is the uh, Apostle Peter, who, after Jesus had died and was resurrected, uh, was on the seaside fishing, and uh, they, were, they saw a guy out on the beach, and they were like, wait, that's Jesus. And he had appeared to them a couple of times, and, like, and Jesus dives in the water, swims out, and sits with Jesus for a while because he's just so excited to see the resurrected Jesus, and also deeply ashamed because he had betrayed Jesus. He had said he didn't know him a couple of times, had run away when there was the opportunity to protect Jesus, had chopped somebody's ear off instead of choosing the path of peace. Like, he had missed in a number of different ways. And so Jesus says, do you love me? After eating with him, he's like, do you love me? And, Jesus, and Peter's like, you know I do. And Jesus is like, do you love me? He says, you know I do. And Jesus says, do you love me? And Peter's like, you know I do. And Jesus each time responds also with, feed my sheep. And so we're all both blessed, but have the opportunity to be a blessing. And we're going to talk about that more next week. Um, but he wants us to be faithful in the midst of all the hardship, in the, in the face of the things that we mess up and the ways that we know, the things that are inside of us that are going to cause us to mess up and fail again. But that doesn't have to be the end reality. It is not an unbreakable cycle. Sure, it will hurt you, and sure, there are times that you will fall down, but Jesus is victorious over sin and darkness and death in the world, all through eternity in the future, but here and now inside of you. So if we go back to those blessings and we look at those, the things that we do, the, the reality in which we steep ourselves by being meek, which means th not thinking less of yourself, but thinking about yourself less, or being merciful or being kind, these are the things that come. This is the kingdom of heaven, like the present reality of God, the comfort 
that comes from that. We'll inherit the earth, not in the way that you get to control things, but in the way that God has given everything in the world to you as a gift. And the pieces that you get to enjoy, the sunshine that you're going to walk out to, the food that you get to eat, the relationships that you have, those are the things that you're going to enjoy way more than anybody who is trying to hoard it up and think and is thinking about how they can hold on to the things that they're going to lose someday. But we can accept it as the gift that it is because it's going to come to us and it's going to keep coming to us. We can be filled with righteousness, not in like the, I was going to say Old Testament. The Old Testament is a good thing, but not in like the self-righteousness sort of way, but filled with goodness, knowing that you are on the right path, accepting with humility that you're going to screw up. But there are times, and I hope you feel this at times, that you just know that there's the right thing and that you're doing the right thing. That you've been shown mercy because we all screw up and we all need mercy. You're going to see God and you're going to be called a child of God. And we sing that over ourselves repeatedly here, right? In the songs that are on the Christian radio station and in the, in the things that we sing here. And I hope that you can take one of these away from what we sang already and what we're going to sing and the things that you put inside of yourself here in this coming week. So speaking of this coming week, I've said a lot of things. I'm going to break it down to four things that, are, that work with each other that you can do individually. If you do just one of these and try to retain some of this, I would encourage you to do that. So here's the four. Slow down and be present with both your brokenness and your blessings. Take five minutes at the beginning of your day. You can do the gratitude journal. You can do some sort of like guided sit and like think about things. Whatever your process is, because we're all different, right? It takes effort to slow down in the modern world and get even five minutes where your mind goes like this for a long time and you have one pure, unadulterated thought about the thing that you were trying to focus on. Um, take this time, whatever time that is, to befriend your brokenness and claim Jesus' victory over it. And by befriend your brokenness, um, what I mean that I'm borrowing from Henry Nouwen is that God was present with all these broken people, right? He cared about them. He said, I want you to live a different life. I want you to... He wants us to have... I don't know. <laughs> I don't have anything to come back. I don't even know which song that was. Uh, but it's an exciting, uh, I guess it's an exciting thing to befriend your brokenness. Be friends. Dance with it. Get hip. Have a good time. Uh, but say it's okay to yourself, right? Uh, love your neighbor as yourself implies that you have loved yourself at some point along the way and that you care about yourself in some way, shape, or form. Um, one of my coworkers said this to another coworker. She said, I don't like you talking about my friend that way as this other coworker was putting herself down, right? Do that for yourself. Care about yourself. Pray together for together. Like you hear about this, you can pray for them. You can pray together with someone who shares their brokenness with you this week because you're going to hear it, right? We live human lives. If you're talking to any human being at any sort of meaningful length, you're going to hear about some way that their life sucks because our life all sucks at some point along the way. But pray for them or ask, like, if you have cur the courage to do it, pray with them and say, hey, can I pray, you with, pray with you for five seconds? Can I pray with you for 30 seconds about that? Because I believe that God is here for both of us, whatever their comfort level is. And then there's this song called Peace by Anna Golden. And if you want to take five minutes of a drive sometime and go through the emotional arc that this thing is, it will reinforce, hopefully, all the things that 
I have at least heard through the biblical story that go around being both broken and blessed. So I want to leave you with this for this week, is that when you walk with Jesus, brokenness doesn't define your future. His victory does. There's blessing there. There's good things for all of us. And I hope that we can all slow down and pay attention to them this week um, and share them with others. And that's what next week's going to be all about, is the fact that this is not just for us uh, to know that we're blessed and we're good and we're happy. This is a thing to share and to bring to others and to, to introduce them to what life in the kingdom is all about. So I'm going to pray for us. The band's going to come back up and lead us in a great song. God, we come here for hope. We get together because we know that life in a community is better than life on our own. And we need to be told that it's going to be okay. Because life is hard. Life is going to scuff our shoes. Life is going to beat us up. Life is going to tear us down. And not just the, the world outside of us, but the, the things that are sinful inside of us, the ways in which we miss the mark, the, the spirals that we have, those toxic thoughts about, will I ever be okay again? Because I keep doing this thing. I keep messing this up. But God, that's not the reality that you showed for us. You walked alongside your disciples. You walked alongside people who were actively seeking your harm and said, there's a different way. I want you to have a different reality. I want you to see that there's hope and that there's a future and that you don't have to live that way. You don't have to control everything to make it okay by sheer force of will and arm alone. God, if we can say that for each other this week, if we can hear you say it, we're going to move through life a little bit lighter, a little bit easier, somewhere in between that and a whole lot better. So Lord, I pray for each of us here, each of us that's listening online, each of us that's going to listen at some point down the road, that we can hear your message, that we can find peace in you, and that we don't feel like we have to do it alone, that we don't have to like white knuckle our way through life, white knuckle our way through like, am I, are they going to find out that I'm messing this up? Is somebody going to finally tear me down and know that I am the fraud and the broken failure that I am? That is not the reality that you call us to. Help us to be humble. Help us to be merciful and know that we are shown mercy. Help us to be kind to ourselves and ultimately, Lord, kind to others. And all in response to how kind you are to us and how you seek us every day, every hour, every minute, even when we're not seeking you. Bring us together next week for this last message. Help us to see each other, to bless each other, to pray over each other's brokenness. In your name we pray. Amen.